Good morning. Can I give you all a very warm welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church this morning for our communion service. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online and a special welcome to David Dean who's joining us this morning and will be sharing on behalf of Barnabas Aid later. We're all deeply conscious of the events in Israel yesterday. Can I suggest that we spend a moment in quiet? Lord, where there is violence, we pray that you'd bring peace, <coughs> healing where there is trauma and injury, deliverance for those who are captives, the overruling of your kingdom, guidance for political leaders, and an end to the horrors of war in that place. In Jesus' name, Amen. And we will be praying for Israel later on, in addition to praying for the persecuted church. Can I just say thank you to those of you who came down yesterday and did a tremendous job decorating the main hall. Go and admire it, even if you don't have a cup of coffee there. They've done a splendid job. Uh, look up when you go out into the street at the, at the, the, the windows, which are now clean, not covered with, with green stuff and overgrowing vegetation. Thank you to the team who worked so hard yesterday to make a real difference and impact on our buildings. Bless you all. Thank you. And we worship God, our Creator and our Redeemer this morning, and our call to worship is taken from the opening verses of Psalm 19. The heavens keep telling the wonders of God, and the skies declare what he has done. Each day informs the following day, each night announces to the next. They don't speak a word. And there is never the sound of a voice, for their message reaches all the earth. It travels round the world. At stand and sing, all heaven declares the glory of the risen Lord.
Gracious God, you are the source of all blessing. You are the provider of every good thing. Our hearts are full of gratitude today. And so we lift our voices to you for, to thank you for your unfailing love and your constant care. You are the shepherd of our souls. You lead us through every challenge of life. You provide for every need. As we look back on our journey, we are grateful for the knowledge that you have accompanied us every step of the way. As we look forward, we put our trust in you for the future. Thank you that you are the source of righteousness and hope for the world. In times of trial and uncertainty, it's your love that sustains us, your promises which give us strength. So we thank you for your faithfulness throughout all generations, for the way in which you guide your people with your steady hand. And we offer our lives afresh to you this morning. May our living be a testimony to your goodness, your love and your grace. As our hearts overflow with gratitude to you, may our lives show the fruits of that gratitude in how we live. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit down. You know, if I were a priest in Old Testament times, this would be my badge of office. Don't get alarmed, I'm not going to use it, but if you came to worship, you wouldn't come empty-handed, you would usually bring an animal. And at the entrance to the, the holy place, you would kill your animal. So you'd have to be pretty adept at that. The priest would then go to the entrance, and collect all of the blood of the animal from the carcass, bring it forward, and throw it against the sides of the altar. That would be a symbol of offering the life of the animal to God. The priest would then come back again with the knife. Bit of a butcher, really cut out the fat, the fat tail by the backbone, the internal organs with the fat surrounding them, the kidneys, the fat near the loins, the long lobe of the liver, all those bits then would be brought and set on fire as an offering to God. The rest, depending on the kind of sacrifice you might get to eat or the priest might get to eat. But without fail, worship involved using a knife in those days. It doesn't today. We are called to present our bodies who we are as living sacrifices to God. There's no killing, there's no bloodshed, there's no burning of internal organs and fat on an altar. It is us laying our lives before God in entirety and saying, my life is dedicated to you as a living sacrifice. Here I am. I dedicate myself to your service, whatever you call me to do. And St. Paul says, that, that's spiritual worship. So as I lead us in prayer, can I invite you, if you wish to do so, just to, to hold your hands out to God like this. And, and symbolically as you do, do so, just think, this is my life. I'm offering it to God. I'm giving it to God now. I'm placing myself on the altar as a living sacrifice. And so, Lord, we lay before you today ourselves 
everything that's been entrusted to us, our prayers to surround those who are in trouble, our words to share your good news, our hands to reach out to those who are lonely, our feet to walk with those whose journey is hard, our hearts to pass on your great legacy of love, and our lives for you to shape and nurture. All that we are, all that we have, we lay before you this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and sing, my heart is filled with thankfulness. You're going upstairs to BRBK. God bless you as you go now. Have a great time. Can I invite the rest of you to be seated, please? Thank you very much indeed. You know, you, the church, or maybe I should say we, we are God's gift to the world. We are a global community of people who acknowledge the kingship of God and seek his will. We are part of the church, the global church, as we gather here to worship week by week. God knows our strengths and our needs, and God wants to strengthen us 
by his Spirit, so that we can all play our part in enabling his word to be proclaimed and his love to be shared, so that his church can welcome more and more disciples committed to serving the God who made them in the world he created. We're going to watch a brief video now by Barnabas Aid expressing that worldwide nature of the church. I'm going to put this in a safe place as we do so, then I'm going to introduce David Dean as he comes to talk to us. Thank you. We are the church, a holy temple and Christ's body. We are one body, but many members. And we share one spirit, one baptism, and one hope. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Those who live in hardship build up the body with testimonies of faithfulness. Christians with more resources share what they have with those in need. It is the strength of our spiritual bonds that enable us to efficiently and reliably support those persecuted. And by this, everyone will know that we are Jesus' disciples. One body, but many members. We are Barnabas Aid, and we are the church. And can I just share with us? Yeah. And uh, so, Lord, we welcome David. Thank you for your calling upon his life. Thank you for his service to the church in various ways, and more recently with Barnabas Aid. As he shares of himself and the work of Barnabas Aid, opens up your word to us later. May your spirit rest upon him and speak through him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation and your welcome. And uh, many of my colleagues are on that, uh, that video, and I... One of the things I appreciate about the body of Christ, which we perhaps don't often think about, is the different accents. And uh, I hope you can understand mine. I'm going to go very quickly through some still pictures that give a, a snapshot of our work. But if you'd like to go at your own pace, then please feel free. I've brought along many of these and they're in the newly decorated lounge. Please do take a copy and do that later. If you want to receive it for free six times a year, please fill in one of these forms, and there's a small book that if you give me your details on this card, feel free to take that book as well. Um, this is a little bit of a whistle-stop tour, but please bear with me. If there's one verse of scripture which encompasses what we do and is our raison d'etre, it's this. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to the family of believers, or you may know this as the household of faith. Let me ask a quick question. My wife and I have five children. Would it be right or wrong? And there's no time for you to answer now, but later feel free. If we fed our five children before we fed the neighbours children, if the UK was on the breadline. So not minimising the cost of living crisis. If the UK is on the breadline, would it be right or wrong to feed our own children before we fed the neighbours' children, not instead of, but first. And we, as an organisation, apply that, um, that rationale to the body of Christ. We minister, as we have opportunity to do good to all, but we see it as our role to minister to the body of Christ. And these pictures should show some of the ways in which we do that. Most of our projects fit into one or more of these categories. Some don't but the vast majority of what we do um, 
is either giving spiritual aid or physical aid. It can be emotional as well, and uh, that describes the majority of what we do. It's typically a few hundred projects in a few dozen countries. And imagine taking East and West Sussex together. Imagine being the only Christian family in the whole of that area. And this Christian family are in that position in Central Asia. And the person second from the right is a pastor whose traveling expenses we cover so that he can visit and encourage this family so that they know they are not alone. If I asked you what Barnabas means, you'd probably be able to say it means son of encouragement. That's what we want to be. We want to be daughters and sons of encouragement to persecuted Christians. If I asked you what Barnabas's real name was, you probably wouldn't know. But if you come and ask me later, I'll give you a free book. I'll tell me. Myanmar. There was a military coup there. 2021, the 1st of February. It's hardly been in our news since then. But many Christians are still at risk there. Not only Christians, Christians are often at increased risk. And it's not as hard as this, usually, to get aid to Christians, but sometimes it is. And these believers in Myanmar have been camping, in inverted commas, for coming up to three years, two and a half years plus. They were located by using drones, and then with that knowledge, they are given the spiritual aid that you can see in the picture, but also what you need when you camp, which is things like mosquito nets and sleeping mats and food. This isn't a typical martyr story, but let me tell you very briefly. Michael was a Christian in Lahore in Pakistan. He works in the sewer. He was sent into the sewer, which is his job, but he wasn't given the protective equipment that he needed. And because of that, the toxic fumes rendered him unconscious. His colleagues wouldn't go in to help him, not because the sewage would make them unclean, but because touching a Christian would make them unclean. The only two who would were Christian colleagues, Faisal and Nadine, who also were denied the protective equipment. Faisal and Nadine died. Thankfully, Michael is alive to tell the story, but we're able to help the family of Faisal who lost their breadwinner. It's not a typical martyr story, but Faisal and Nadine would not have died if they were not Christians. Come and ask me later, or feel free to purchase a copy of this book, um, Surviving the Forgotten Armenian Genocide. It's forgotten, but not only forgotten, it's almost written out of history. And the problem is when we don't acknowledge genocide, it's not that we're failing to right the wrongs, we're part of the wrong. When we deny a genocide, we're part of that wrong, but also we pave the way for genocide in the future. And I mean, a lot can happen in a week around the world, but it was just a week ago that the Armenian enclave, predominantly Christian, within Azerbaijan, was taken over. Thousands have fled, and we're trying, and have been over many years, helping the Christians in Nagorno-Karabakh and in Armenia. We engage in advocacy when we can, but primarily we see our role to, as a bridesmaid to the bride to give aid to the body of Christ. I mentioned Myanmar, Afghanistan, many Christians at risk. They still are at risk. The Taliban have been in power in Afghanistan for more than two years now. Christians were given three choices, and they still face these three choices. 
One, leave your faith. In other words, reconvert to the majority faith. Most Christians in Afghanistan have either done that themselves or other children or grandchildren of those who have. That's the first choice. The second is, if you choose not to leave your faith, leave the country. Because if we find you, and the third choice isn't really a choice, we will kill you. That still is the case for many Christians in Afghanistan, and we're helping in three ways. Those internally displaced within Afghanistan, those who've been able to go to neighboring, safer countries, and we asked a number of governments around the world, would they give specific refuge to Christian Afghans? And although the numbers are few, just over 100, so far the only country that said yes to that were this country here. Samir on the right was one of 60 who went from Afghanistan via a third country to Brazil. Churches there said to their nation, if you give them refuge, we will receive them, host them, teach them Portuguese, acclimatize them to the culture. And he was joined by his parents and siblings um, earlier this year amongst 58 who came. What we did a couple of years ago was as well as channeling money, imagine going to the gym for 30 years and exercising one arm, your biceps and triceps would be quite well developed. As well as doing that where we can, where we can't, or in addition we send goods as well. So we have a donations arm and a delivery arm. We started to collect food here and send it from here in containers around the world. We've sent lorries also to Romania and from Romania um, there's a hub close to the border with Ukraine. So we've been able to send many resources into Ukraine as well. This is a factory, Amish owned in the USA. They take food, ex food that's a, a expiring or about to expire, dehydrate it and ship it. So we purchased the dehydrator and we've been able to send over a thousand tons of aid around the world. Um, the first aspect of that donate, that delivery arm was food and the second is medical equipment. These wheelchairs were manufactured in India, shipped to Poland and then from Poland across the border into Ukraine. This is a mobile health clinic in Pakistan. Um, we've got static clinics there and mobile health clinics. And I don't know if you find masks, some of us still wear them, some of us must, some of us choose to. Um, but we have a surplus and the Irish government had a surplus and we were able to send those items of PPE to five different nations to mission hospitals in Africa. We do all of that through the prayers of God's people and within the magazine is probably the most significant part which is the prayer diary. You can pull that out and put it in your Bible, um, a daily prayer guide as well as that we produce annually a praying for the suffering church um, but because situations change so rapidly we also produce a monthly prayer update as well. I'm going to focus on the first two of these verbs. Feeling comes before praying, not because it's more important, but when we pray, having first felt, then we not only pray from our heads, if you like, but we pray from our hearts, or even deeper down here in our guts. And then when we pray, God shows us what it is he wants us to do. So I'm here to say thank you at this point for the opportunity for me to share with you, but thank you for any prayers that you give and have given and will give for Barnabas aid. David, bless you, thank you, that was very helpful. Judy, do you want to come and bring God's word to us, please? Our reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, chapter two, and verses nine to 20. 
Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. And the wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Thank you, Judy. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, let's stand to sing together.
seated. Michael, come and lead us in prayer, and then David will share the scriptures with us. Thank you. Good morning. We come on probably the most significant day of this year as Israel has yet again been invaded, but probably most dangerous. Many of us have visited Israel. Some of us have friends in Israel at this current time, particularly over the Feast of Tabernacle. And some of those may be in Gaza. The time has come to pray, as God calls us to, for the peace of Jerusalem and for Israel. As Christians, we are called by God to pray for this land and for our Christian brothers and sisters in the Messianic Church and for the Israelis. Dear Lord, we come to you today and we pray, Father, for our Christian brothers and sisters in Israel, both those serving in the IDF and those who are there on holiday and those who are civilians in Israel. We pray for your Holy Spirit to protect them and keep them safe during this time of terror. Father, we pray that you would bring release to the hostages and you would bring safety. We pray, Father, for Hamas. We pray, Father, for Hezbollah. We pray that you would begin to reveal to them your son, Jesus Christ, and you would bring them into a knowledge of who he is, that they might turn from their ways and seek your face and turn away from their wickedness. Father, we pray for the protection of Israel and we claim the power of your Holy Spirit to protect this land from these attacks. Father, give Israel the correct response and the ability to deal firmly with those who've come against the land and to bring the release of the captives. Father, I personally pray for Arthur and his church members who are in Israel today. And Father, we pray that you would touch each one of those people, that they would know your security and your safety and help us to understand what it means to understand your safety. In Jesus' precious name. When I was looking this morning, I looked at... Matthew 24, we've all read it, we've all seen it, and in Matthew 24, verse 4 to verse 13, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars, that, and see that you are not frightened. For these things must take place, but not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of me of my name and that at that time many will fall away and will de be deliver one another up 
and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because of the lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Father, we praise you for Barnabas. We praise you for the work that they do in helping the persecuted churches. And Father, I personally raised up the churches of Izmir, Gaziantep, Sarush and Kabani, all who suffer persecution for their faith. Father, we pray for those who struggle in lands, have difficulties put in their way, either because they have not given the safety equipment or they're not given the right to live. We pray for those who are executed for their faith and we pray, Father, for those who maintain their faith to the end and persevere. We thank you, Lord, for the stories of great miracles and salvations in the church and for the fact that the church stands firm on your word and do not deviate, but stand firm in their belief in you. And we thank you, Father, that Barnabas helps the churches, in the East in particular, in the Middle East, to help those churches to really feel your presence. We also pray, Father, for those who become Christians, particularly from Islam, who find it so difficult in the Western Church. We pray, Father, you would give them the ability to feel your presence and your Holy Spirit and to have your Holy Spirit minister to them and to encourage them in this time. We ask you, Father, that you would deliver your people at this time, particularly those who are persecuted and are suffering. Hardship, famine, the refusal of work because, they are faith, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Help them, despite these persecutions, to remain firm. And we pray for those who are in prison that you would continue to maintain their faith, even in the difficulty of solitary confinement and torture, to feel your presence and your love with them and to know that you stand with them this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Father, we just commit to you, David, and we just ask by your Holy Spirit you would touch him and touch his words. You would give him the ability to preach what you have for us. And open the ears of the deaf, Father, that they might hear. Open the eyes of the blind that they might see. And give David the ability to really go strongly forward with your word and in the following weeks. May you bless and encourage him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I'm going to be a little bit longer than I was the first time I was up here, but not very much longer. <laughs> Paul writes these words to the believers in Thessalonica and he's able to empathize with them and the reason that he's able to empathize with them is because he knows what happens in Thessalonica because he was there so just for a moment go back to Acts 17 and you don't need to turn in your Bibles I've put just two verses there other Jews were jealous so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas. This is the Paul who's writing, in order to bring them out to the crowd. And then later on 
in the same chapter, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. It's not only good people who go to different places with the message, it's also people who wish to agitate the crowds and stir them up. So Paul's able to empathize with these Christians at the church in Thessalonica, partly because he once was part of the group doing the opposing. He was part of the opposition. He may even, we don't know, but he might have known some of those who were causing problems. And that puts Paul in a strategic place because he's able to put himself in the place of his opponents. If you want to outmaneuver somebody, that's what you must do. But Paul also knows that this isn't about strategy or tactics because he himself was outmaneuvered by the Lord Jesus when he was, Paul was on his way to Damascus. He had a plan, he had strategy and tactics and the operations in place in order to persecute the Christians. And he was outmaneuvered. So what we were hearing earlier from Tim and what we'll engage in later is God outmaneuvering the devil. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The enemy thought he had won. Remember that persecution is always, and I say this because of the cross, I can say, we can know, persecution is always ultimately both incomplete and unsuccessful. Persecution always is ultimately incomplete and unsuccessful. I've highlighted in yellow the section I'd like us to focus our thoughts, and not only our thoughts, but also our emotions on. Suffering is a way of life for everybody, and especially for Christians. And in this suffering world, it's our response to the gospel of God, our response to what Jesus did for us, that we remember, we will remember shortly. It's our response that determines our life. We read earlier on in the chapter, it's verse 13, those, and Paul's writing to the church here, who received their words and accepted it as God's word. Those are on the one hand. And then we see here those who not only reject it, but they reject it so vehemently that they prevent others from hearing it as well. They don't want people to preach the good news because they don't want people to hear the good news because the opposition in their heart is such that what they deny themselves, they don't want others to be given the opportunity to have. We were singing earlier, show your power, it's the final verse of the final hymn that we sung, which I don't believe I've sung very often. Show your power once again on earth, cause your church to hunger for your ways. Cause your church to hunger for your ways. Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, God's ways are not our ways, they're higher. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, they're higher. And included in God's way is the way of suffering. Included in God's way is the way of suffering. 
God wants us to have pleasure. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, at your right hand are pleasures forever. But the closer we get to God, the closer we get to suffering. The closer we get to pure pleasure. It's almost, I think, like an essential oil. We need to dilute it here on earth because we can't quite comprehend. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore, but we know that God is a God who not only suffered, but still suffers today. Let me mention just different types of suffering. And it will also explain, for 28, 27 of the 30 years that we've been helping Christians, we've been helping persecuted Christians. That was always the first question. Are these Christians suffering because they're being persecuted? And that's still the majority of what we do. But because of world events and even local events, for the past few years, where we can, we've been helping Christians suffering, not necessarily in a context of persecution. That's the minority of what we do. But let me classify suffering in four ways. This world is a world that suffers. And we suffer in the world because the world is not dropped, but it is fallen. One doesn't have to live long on earth to know that the world is a place in which we suffer. War, persecution, or the day-to-day life that you and I might have. That's suffering in the world. We suffer in the world because it's fallen. We suffer with the world because if there was a flood or a virus, it would come and indiscriminately, if there was a place of worship to another god adjacent to this beautiful building, unless there's a divine intervention, the flood or the virus would take out both. So we suffer with the world. We suffer for the world, or we can, and we're called to suffer for the world. Imagine Tim and I have the same health condition. And the problem is, there's hardly any medicine. Tim has the medicine that will cure, and I don't. And even though Tim knows that him giving the medicine to me means he will not have any for himself, Tim giving it to me is Tim suffering for me. So we suffer in the world, we suffer with the world, we are called as Christians to suffer for the world. Persecution is another quite specific type of suffering. It's persecution by the world. Persecution because of the world. Persecution at the hands of the world. And Jesus gives us a model, not just of a suffering saviour, but of a persecuted person. When Jesus died on the cross, it was persecution. It was intentional. It need not have happened on human, in human terms. It caused somebody to be the persecutor. And Paul knows this because he was one. He was one of those who persecuted. So how do we follow Jesus? One way in which we follow Jesus is by accepting that God's will, not only his thoughts, not only his ways, but his will is higher than ours. And even Jesus, God the Son, submitted his will to that of the Father. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. And because he did that there, he was able to go to the cross of Calvary. 
I said persecution is always ultimately incomplete and unsuccessful, and you might wonder, how does that work? If it didn't serve the enemy purpose, he wouldn't do it. So it must in some way serve his purpose, but here's three ways. It causes growth of the church by development, it causes growth of the church by dispersion, and it causes growth of the church by the dramatic change that is conversion which Paul knows because he was so development. Imagine the first Christian martyr was? I'm hearing lots of Steve, Stephen. And he was following in the footsteps of Jesus. Everybody who's martyred for the, their faith in Jesus is following in his footsteps. Stephen even echoed the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen said, do not hold this sin against them. Imagine being his natural sibling. You're the sister or the brother of Stephen, and you know that he's sinful, because you grew up with him. You know that he's somebody who fails. You know that he's somebody with weakness. And then you see him stand and preach the sermon of his life and continue to stand. Scripture tells us he fell asleep. It's almost, I wonder if it was a spiritual anesthesia as he was being stoned. But that would cause me to say, as his brother, if God can help my weak, failing, sinful brother Stephen to preach that sermon and undergo that persecution, God can also help me. It causes growth and development in my faith. And then we read, you can read it yourself in Acts, that what happened then, the Christians were dispersed. And when Christians are dispersed, they take with them the light of the glory of the gospel. But don't forget, Saul was watching Stephen's stoning and Saul became Paul who wrote this letter. So never forget and always pray for those who persecute because those who persecute can themselves switch from this camp, those who reject the gospel, the good news of salvation and become those who receive it. The Christians whose pictures we saw earlier, the Christians for whom we prayed earlier, wherever they may be, it's often their own. You suffered from your own people. Imagine suffering at the hands of your own. It's harder than suffering at the hands of others. So imagine, and even ask the question, am I willing to suffer at the hands of my own friends, my own neighbours, my own family, my own colleagues, my own culture. And even ask ourselves this question, am I willing to give up my own friends? Am I willing to give up my own family? Am I willing to give up my own neighbours, my own colleagues? my own culture. And Paul knows what that's like. Just a couple of verses from other letters as we close shortly. Paul says, when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, when we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We've become, this is quite strong, we've become the scum of the earth. The garbage of the world. Chosen to use garbage because rubbish has other meanings. Garbage, no good for anything. 
And it's not something in the past, it's right up to this moment. And then he writes this to the church in Philippi. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake, for whose sake, I have lost all things. And Paul wrote this not to a church, but to Timothy. His son in the faith, his prodigy. He said, everyone who desires or wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We should expect persecution. We think that because we've not had it here in the UK for the last couple of hundred years, it's the norm not to be persecuted when in fact when we look through church history and when we look at the church around the world, the opposite is the norm. Persecution is the norm. If there's an absence, thank God for that absence, but thank God when he chooses his ways, including the way of suffering, including the way of persecution. As a final slide. Savonarola was a, an Italian monk who was martyred by other monks because he called out excesses. He said this, there are two kinds of Christians. Okay, so this, remember, there are those who reject God and those who accept the word of God through other people as it is the word of God. Are we Christians who sincerely believe the word of God? which says we should expect persecution. I want to be one of those. I don't want to be one who sincerely believes that I sincerely believe. I want to have the sincere belief that means whatever it is, God will help me. God will help me as he helped Jesus. God will help me as he helped Stephen. God will help me as he helped Paul. So as was read for us during the prayers, be encouraged. And you don't have to live a godly life to be persecuted. Let me encourage you with this. All we need to do is desire it. That desire, God sees our hearts. God doesn't look and roam the earth looking for perfect people. His eyes roam the earth looking for hearts that are fully committed after him. So be encouraged. Desire to live godly lives. Stand firm and be saved. David, thank you so much. Bless you. Take a moment just to dwell on that and receive it and reflect on it. Lord, from what's been said, we invite you to inscribe on our hearts and in our minds what is personal to us and enable us to respond by giving our lives to you, living our lives for you, putting our whole trust in you. Whatever comes, whatever happens, in Jesus' name. Amen. O oh, breath of God, come breathe within and stand to sing.
HPCT. Here at this table, we know the risen Christ. He invites us to remember him, his death on the cross, in broken bread and poured out wine, his body broken, his blood shed for us. He meets us in grace, in mercy, in love and in peace. We come with our failures, recognising we're called to serve him, to live for him. We have all failed to do that, one way or another. This is the place of forgiveness. This is the place of renewal. This is the place where Jesus says, welcome. And here too we find strength for the journey. The body of Christ given for us, the bread of life, is food indeed. The blood of Christ representing the life of Christ given to renew us. This is the place where Jesus meets us, welcomes us to his presence, forgives, renews and equips us to live for him. So let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the mystery of your death. That there you took upon yourself the sin of the world. There you took upon yourself my sin. Our sin. There you took upon yourself the hatred and the anger and the enmity of the world. And instead you offered your love and your forgiveness and your life. Lord, we bring to you all that is wrong in our lives and we lay it at the foot of the cross, recognising the price you paid to deal with that, but thanking you that you did so. Thank you that as we receive as from your hand this bread and this wine, we receive, we receive afresh your grace, your love and your life. Thank you that you've loved us without limit. Thank you that you've given your life for us. Lord, as we share together in this bread and wine, we offer our lives to you. Thank you for this bread and all it represents, the body of Christ broken. Thank you for this wine and all that it represents, the blood of Christ shed. Thank you for being our Saviour. Amen. We do this because the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. And he gave it to those who were with him and said, Take, eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they'd eaten, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He invites us to eat and drink. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Everyone 
is welcome to share in the bread and wine. If what faith you have, however little or great, you're seeking to put it in, put it in Christ, then give expression to that faith by eating the bread and drinking the wine. If you don't feel worthy, then probably you should really drink it and eat it. Because Christ welcomes sinners to his table. If you recognise the significance of this, this is the body of Christ given to you, the blood of Christ shed for you, then here is grace for all who need it. You are welcome at this table. The bread will be shared among us. Can I invite you to eat the bread as you receive it? This is the body of Christ given for you. Thanks be to God. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It's poured out for you. As we receive the cup, can I invite you to keep it so that we can drink together as a sign of our fellowship in Christ. Christ gave his life for us. Christ shares his life with us. Thanks be to God. The cup of blessing which we bless is in order sharing together in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is in order sharing together in the body of Christ. So we who are many are one body because we all share in the one love.
Lord, we commend to your mercy and grace those who are members of our body who are struggling and suffering in different ways. Those who are ill, those who are frail, those who find themselves in trouble, those who find it difficult to see the way ahead, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, in the Middle East, members together in the body of Christ, we commend each other to your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to sing together, there is an everlasting kindness.
So let's share together in the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.